Greetings and welcome to New Horizon, the Mind and Body Connection. I'm your host, Dr. Keisha Ross. We've got a great show today for you. Uh, Our topic is mental health advocacy, life as art and art as life. We also have a wonderful guest for you, Miss Marlene Kinua. So before we begin today, I will just give you a little bit about um, Marlene's background. Marlene Kuwera Kinua is a mental health advocate and founder of Africala Arts, a social enterprise consisting of a group of young outside the box thinkers out to revise the levels of expression, especially among the youth and creatives. It involves young individuals who from a holistic content create team creative team that actively champions mental mental health and creativity. Africala also has a podcast called Mental Health Talk, recently launched to share information and demystify mental health issues while encouraging best practices and another podcast, The Creative's Doormat, currently being curated to create a platform for creatives to share some of their experiences in the creative industry. She is also collaborating with Emily Wilson, CEO of iRise International UK, to produce the Lead Like a Feminist podcast. Marlene is a communication specialist as well as a humanitarian and development enthusiast who is result-oriented and time con- and time conscious with keen attention to detail. She is a skilled writer with profound communication skills, critical as well as analytical thinking and planning skills. Thank you so much for being with us today, Marlene. How are you doing? I'm very fine. Thank you, Dr. Ross. And uh, thank you also for having me. I am very humbled to be on this show today with you. And I definitely look forward to our conversations. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. And I have to give a shout out. You're our second uh, international guest. Our first was uh, in Canada, but I'm very pleased to say you are our first guest on New Horizon, the Mind and Body Connection on the continent. So we are very happy to have that transatlantic connection. We talk a lot about demystifying stigma and we've talked about it in the Caribbean, the U.S. So we're definitely going to hear from you today your thoughts and what is happening on the continent. So today's show, we're gonna continue to work to decrease stigma and increasing psychoeducation on mental health and mental illness. But today's show is unique in that we'll focus on creativity as a path for mental health advocacy. We know that mental health is an umbrella. So we've talked about it in a lot of ways in terms of how we can work to be to be healthy. So we're excited to hear all you can share with us today. So let's start today by you sharing a bit about your professional background. So um, professionally, or let me go back to what I studied for. Um, I studied a Bachelor of Science in Community Development. Um, Someone might ask why that, because I I personally felt that I really wanted to help people out. And okay, being a doctor, um, a physician, let me just say a physician, mm-hmm. would have been a little bit tricky because I'm really scared of blood, <laughs> a lot of things related to body fluids. So I decided, you know what? I that think was I not for you. <laughs> I thought that I could change the world using other perspectives. And so that is why I, I, I chose to study community development. And I can say that forged my whole career path forward. 
And I say that that is one of the best decisions that I've ever made. Learning more about people, um, learning about behavioral aspects of people and how you can use these structures mm-hmm. like social behavioral change communication to bring about change in society, to initiate conversations, to just bring about change. And I know dif- different people have um, I- ideologies on what change should look like or, or what change should be about. But to me, I think change is all about changing the status quo, first of all, yeah. changing how people believe in other people, changing how people believe in themselves. Because I can say that is the whole notation under how we operate. So personally, I chose um, community development. And since then, I have been able to specialize in communications and monitoring and evaluation. Wonderful. And communication is a big part, as you said, of change. Because when we can't communicate, that leads to many issues, right? If we think of language, if we think of dialect just in basic, that becomes a challenge. But even then, when you can communicate in that way, there's like emotional levels of intelligence. So there can be gaps in in that. So I know you'll speak to that a great um, deal. I also started out in in medicine, but then after being uh, connected and exposed to psychology, recognized that that was a better, better fit for me. I love the brain but I didn't realize that the part that I loved the most was behavior, right? So not necessarily the blood and <laughs> and all of those other parts as you mentioned there. So thank you for sharing um, about your background. Um, so you do a lot to utilize sports and creativity, um, especially art and dance to raise awareness about mental health. Can you speak to us about that? Let me just return you back a little bit on communication as we were talking about. Okay. How can we use those because even at the way we use art and dance is a way of communicating one communicating to self and communicating to others so um i can say africala came about as a way of trying to use sports art and dance as a tool to bring people together so that we can have these mental health conversations look at the world right now we are all focused on the world cup Imagine if we could use the World Cup as a tool to send information, it will get to so many ears, it will get to so many people, you see. So what we do is use these opportunities of things that bring people together to discuss some of the most important components of mental health. So we make it such a fun topic where people now get to listen Um, we use it as a tool of, okay, today we are going to do dance therapy. In this dance therapy, there won't be, um, there will be no voice in the music, just beats. And while we are listening into these beats and trying to move our bodies, we talk about some of the aspects of life, how challenges might take us away from even relaxing. So we use this moment as a moment to relax. So the same way with art, we have some beats in the background, but right now we are talking about something. For example, the tree of life. And we talk about some of the aspects. Tree has its branches. Sometimes um, there are some bad components of life that we have to let go of for us to progress. So that mm-hmm. is why we have to shed some of our, uh, some of the leaves. So we use it as a way to communicate. Mm-hmm. Yes. So And the more we communicate, the more we get that people are willing to share, people are willing to open up and 
at that moment is when we can encourage people to seek help and support to some of the challenges that they're going through. So that is how us, we use creativity, art, dance and sports to bring people together to share some of the most important components and aspects of mental health. Wonderful. And you know, as you're saying that, and I'm listening, it, it makes so much sense because there is so much stigma sometimes in the traditional ways of seeking help that, you know, people don't always recognize that that's what they're doing, right? In terms of when they're being creative, they don't recognize that I'm working to like decrease stress here. You know, I'm letting go of what has happened in the week, whether it's family or whether it's work. And as you you noted the World Cup as an example, yes, we see so many people now more so using a platform, artists, whether they're singers, celebrities, um, athletes. So we see a lot of stigma being decreased in mental health in this these areas. So I love that. And I love, you know, the tree of life example that you gave, you know, these metaphors for life. And that's why in the title, we said, you know, mental health advocacy, life is art and art is life, you know, it's depicting what is happening and it becomes a way of, of expression. So art therapy, whether it's formal or informal, definitely becomes a way to work through mental health issues, adversity, challenges, trauma, and and so much, so much more. So talk with us a bit about, as your bio states, you engage in holistic content creation with a creative team that actively champions mental health and creativity. Tell us a little bit about your team and a bit more of your process. I can actually start by saying that my team is a multi-talented team. Okay. We have very different form of creatives. We have sound engineers, we have makeup artists, we have videographers, photographers, editors. They're the kind of team that can help you communicate. For example, right now we, we are trying to help organizations communicate their messages because lately people are turning into the use of social media campaigns and other form of campaigns. Yeah. But even the term campaign is a form of communication. Why are we campaigning in the first place? Because we have this ideology that we want to send either to lead to uh, a movement. So for us to build those communities, it is easier for us to use communication tools. And how do we even structure the, that message? So we have this kind of people who are going to contribute towards the ideology. So if we want to depict something in an art sense, create a mural, it's something that we sit down and try mm -hmm. to think, um, what message do we want to give out there? And how can we be able to put these components together, either in a picture, in a podcast, in a video, in a post? Uh, uh, for example, um, for example, the way we do our lives. So how can we create, how can we use those platforms to send the message and make sure that it is very clear, very short, and very mm -hmm. straight to the point? So my team is the kind of team that can put such communication tools together. These are people who have different talents and um, they all add up to being in the creative team. So we also use that as a way of pushing the mental health agenda. So we also create some specific um, creative content that is aimed to fit, yeah. um, to communicate a specific message. For example, if you want to highlight depression, we create a whole script that is going to show some of the effects of depression. Mm -hmm. So we can even make silent movies, but they show the effect of depression, how it affects our life. 
how it pushes us to yeah. the edge where you feel like there is no way I can go. There is mm-hmm. nothing I can do. And that is where you find people tend to resolve to some extreme cases like death by suicide or um, sometimes yeah. it's self-harm and very many other perspectives of their way to cope with pain and also their way to cope with stigma and other aspects. So we also create such kind of content. We script and also try to find people to enact some of the things that we have in mind, because even in our team, we have actors as well. And I love what you said there in terms of messaging and, and the messaging has to be, be very specific, right? Because there's so many nuances, you know, there's geographic differences, there's language difference, dialect, tribal differences, then age-wise, generational differences, right? We may be sending a different message to those who, you know, are older, those who are midlife, those who are, are younger. So this creates such an opportunity, as you said, to be very specific. And as you said, in terms of content, if someone is struggling with depression, if someone is having thoughts of suicide, sometimes they may think that they're the only one. And even just hearing messaging that normalizes, that says like you're not alone and other people have these experiences too, that is enough to help make a difference for someone to at least not feel alone. And then the next level would be reaching reaching out for help. So- sure. I love the work that you're doing. We both are on that decreasing stigma, right? That is our soapbox. And, you know, we've discussed it on this show specific to like African-American culture, like in the U.S., Canada. We've also talked about the Caribbean. Can you talk with us about more so the experience of stigma and where you are on the continent, specifically to Kenya, where you are and how you see that? where you are so one thing that i can say is um we were actually discussing something similar the other day and we were trying to say that some of the things that we do some of the structures that we have are based on our colonial systems some Mm -hmm. of the things we've never changed even our education systems become so hard for us to incorporate Mm -hmm. some of our own cultural component because these were things that were defined Mm -hmm. for us um, we were so taught on how to be like right now we're talking about unemployment as a very big issue in our continent. Okay. And it's all about because we were taught to be employees. Our yes. systems taught us to be employees as compared to being entrepreneurs or mm-hmm. um, innovators. So and that's why you find that it is a little bit hard for some most of us to think outside the box. Mm-hmm. We are so programmed into thinking in a specific way. We yes. go to school so that once we finish school, we get a job, we get a wife mm-hmm. or a husband, get a family, mm-hmm. um, live, just live simple, don't interfere with the government. And yes, yes. Death and, that is and, cool. yeah, your story. So our the way uh, we are so embedded in our, uh, our colonial systems, like the way they came and introduced cash crops and mm-hmm. then people were so focused on cash crops they forgot the food crops and now we have food insecurity as an issue yes there is also the issue that they came and owned some of our land in terms of large scale Mm -hmm. um most of the people lost their land and right now it's so hard to reclaim because these have been owned by the political elite over time Mm -hmm. so you see there is so many structures as much as we talk of stigma it is 
very hard for us to get some of these things back because mm-hmm. they have been stigmatized as something that we should not really pursue. And that's why you find it is very hard to pursue social justice issues. You see, even right now, when we're talking about climate change, people think that there are better priorities than that. They don't know mm-hmm. that at the end of the day, if we don't tackle that, all yeah. our priorities will be <laughs> redefined in the next few years. So yes. I think we might not be of- able to talk about it if we're not, <laughs> not, not here. True, true, true. So it's 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 all about that. It's all about the degradation of natural resources, the changes to our systems of social living. And yeah. it is also about the positive effect of how we we think about the Western education and how mm-hmm. our systems are not acceptable to the yeah. other world. Or right now we're talking about the global north and the global south. So you find mm-hmm. that our education system might not really take you far unless you go and get the global north education until you get that masters from a different country so you find that most of our people do not believe in ourselves because Mm. our colonization or or our previous systems taught us to conform other than to ask questions and create solutions for our own so i think it's about time we try to shift that mindset so that we can be able to create opportunities for our people. That I love the way that you brought that home just in terms of the impact of colonization on Africa and like the current manifestations. One a couple of points I'd like to, you know, just come back to reiterate what you talked about is talking about that more that model of employment, right? Becoming an employee versus an entrepreneur and you see it on the continent, you see it in Canada, you see it in the US, you see it in the UK, wherever, whatever diaspora we're in as Black people Af- of African descent in other areas, that is the challenge, right? We are a part of like this system and the system wasn't created for us or by us. So the more we are able to create our own, that actually becomes our way of liberating ourselves. But understandably some people are conditioned like this is what I have to do and there's that level of fear of like moving out on your own right to say like well how am I going to live how am I going to pay bills how am I going to eat and all of these things and while understandably there might be fear it's still moving in fear right sometimes fear is there just to let us know what's going on but it doesn't mean that we have to stop we find ways to manage it and balance it out so I love what you said there so that's not only where you are that's also in America too many of us are in that type of model so it becomes difficult because if we don't manufacture if we're not the owners of the manufacturing then it limits us you know the educators if we are not writing the books and making the curriculum, as you said earlier, then it becomes a problem. We're not learning about ourselves. So entrepreneurship can be, you know, creating our own schools, creating our, you know, whether it's homeschooling in pods or whether it's creating something that's actually within the community, those all become ways. I also love that you um, highlighted the you know, the, the cash crops, forgetting about the food crops. And then as you said, food insecurity. So that becomes another way of dependence, right? So that has become the challenge. So now we have to depend on other people for our, our food. In America, we see it a lot in terms of like African Americans 
there was a lot that happened historically in terms of like land being stolen, then also in terms of policies created that Black farmers didn't have access to a lot of the same policies as like their white counterparts. So now we see a smaller amount of Black farmers, but we do see that that's building building up again. So thank you for, for highlighting those areas that that's so important. So as you discussed that, tell us about the importance of stigma and how you came about founding Africala Art. Like with all that you're discussing there, what happened? What was your process in terms of like, hmm, I think this is, this, this is what I want to do. What was your process with that? So I think sometimes we have to be very uncomfortable in our comfort zones mm -hmm. so that we can push ourselves forward to create solutions for others. So personally, I can say I started Africala um, just immediately after the pandemic. I was seated at home and I was jobless at that time. I had lost my job like very many other people lost their mm -hmm. job once the pandemic struck. And I, I thought that, you know what, I have a skill. Why, can I, why can't I use this skill mm -hmm. to bring people together and see what we can do different and create opportunities for ourselves? So I started Africala as a support system, you know. I said, you know what, I have to get myself out of this um, mm -hmm. um, self-loathing and um, kind of, I really need to get out of this comfort zone because yeah. if I continue being comfortable here, everything is going to go wrong because at that time you don't have rent, you don't have, you don't have anything. So it's either you innovate <laughs> to get yourself out of that situation or you give in to depression and we all know how that goes. It's one story after the other and it becomes too much and people just give up. So I decided that I am going to create a team of people where we can support each other. So I started mm -hmm. by asking most of the people who are around me, like, what skill do you feel you can offer? What do you really feel you're good at? And what really makes you happy when you do it? Someone said, you know what, I'm very good at editing. I'm very good with graphic design. Someone said, I'm a very good makeup artist. I'm a very good actor. So I decided, you know what, what can we use? What can we bring about? Because personally, as an individual, I can't, I can't do much. But if we combine our skills into a mm -hmm. team, we can offer a product, we can offer a service. And when we offer a service, we can be able to create more support for other creatives, give them an opportunity to earn from doing what they love and you know, all know how that goes. Once people are happy doing what they love, even the job is better. Even the product, the end product is very beautiful as compared to someone who is really frustrated at work. So I decided to create a safe space for creatives where they can use their skill to offer a service. And I knew a number of people in the humanitarian and development world. And I was like, some of them were founders and CEOs, especially in the UK. I told them, you know what, do you always struggle with giving stories about your work? Mm -hmm. uh, I think I, I have a solution for you. And I have a team that can be able to put out some content for you. So we started that slowly by slowly. And right now, I have to say the rest was history. You know, Wonderful. trying to build from the ground up was not easy because there was no funding. I, was, I started it with only, I think, $10. Wow. to be exact yeah and uh right now we have uh potential partners from new zealand in the uk that we are working with in some number of projects and some of the organizations that work here 
We've been able to even partner with a number of um, creative artists to create the music. And the story is building. Very soon yeah. we'll have uh, a magazine of our own telling our story. Oh, wonderful. I can't wait to hear about that. You'll have to come back to, to tell us <laughs> more about that. I mean, what you're saying is so inspirational, and I hope that our listeners hear it and are really touched within and feel like, you know what, I felt like I've wanted to do something like that, but I was scared. And to hear you talk about your experience that like, yeah, it wasn't necessarily easy, but it was worth it. As you said, it's, it's history now. I love that. And after the pandemic, you know, with any kind of adversity or trauma, yes, there's the negative piece where it's like difficult the adverse piece but then there's also opportunity for growth right and i think the pandemic has been a time where many people have moved into entrepreneurship here in the u.s the challenge that's happening in the beginning of the pandemic was that many people were laid off because you know different things happening within companies. Now the pendulum has swung that it's difficult to hire people and to maintain them. And I think a big part of what's happening is that through that many people did start to lean into talents like, oh, I can do this or I can do that and started to develop their own companies, their own businesses as, as well. And particularly for black people, those of African descent, you know, indigenous people, it is important for us to utilize that route. And as you said, it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to move outside of your comfort zone. If it feels like, oh, this is uncharted kind of waters, you don't know it until you get there, right? And it becomes, it starts to feel comfortable and regular the more you do it. Very true. Very true. And I have to say the first year was one of the hardest. Yeah. It is about, I can say the first two years um, between 2020 and right now, mm-hmm. almost uh, 2022 is uh, is ending I think there was so many times that I wanted to give up I was like you know yeah. what this thing is like it's not working before now I started receiving calls like hey we were told that we can you can do this for us and I was mm-hmm. like yes 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 bring it on I can yes and I think you just have to shun um, imposter syndrome and sometimes yes. it's like projects feel so big but at the end of the day you, you find that you really can deliver once you understand that this is what needs to be placed there and this is yeah. the other, it is not rocket science anymore. You even get the run of it. You understand mm-hmm. even you understand more about the business as you go on. You understand uh, other aspects of taxation and the rest as you move forward. <laughs> because at some point you can start and say, what? how will I go about this? How will I go about that? But immediately you hit the ground running. You just, mm-hmm. you just continue. You have... Yeah, and the momentum builds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just run. You just run. You've already started. Let's go. We we don't know where the finish line is. So let's run. When we Wonderful. get there, we will know we've gotten there. Wonderful. I mean, I just love hearing this. And, you know, for our listeners, again, it becoming that inspirational piece, like I can do this. Other people have done this. And you made a, a, a great comment in terms of shunning imposter syndrome. So for those who don't know about it, I mean, it's basically just that, you know, you can be qualified in an area, 
you could be competent, you know, you've done all the work, but it's feeling like an imposter, like I really can't do this, or, you know, I don't deserve this, or I shouldn't be in this position. So as you said, you have to shun that. And we get so many messages sometimes of why we shouldn't do something or why we can't do something, whether it's in images in the media, whether it's what we've learned in school. So a lot of the entrepreneurial mind is also, you know, learning to reject right? What we've been indoctrinated into that we have to depend on someone else for stuff, because for some reason we feel like depending on ourselves is, is not enough. But I know uh, as an entrepreneur, I've been in private practice, done it myself. It's not for the faint of heart, meaning you do gain a lot of freedoms with it, but yeah, it's work. Meaning like you can't put things off for somebody else, that level of responsibility, that's different than when you're an employee, right? Because someone else is going to take on all of that additional work. But the balance is that I think there's that level of freedom and liberation that comes along with it that, that helps to balance out the additional responsibility. And actually, people will try to discourage you. People will try to tell you that you're overambitious. You don't have mm-hmm. the fun. It's not that easy. You know what? You think people just start off like that. So many of that will come. But you know, at the end of the day, it is you to push the dream. They don't even understand it. Yet they say that it is ambitious. So you just think wherever you want to start. Don't worry if it is starting small. Because at some point, I think it was was small. I started to um, get better at my writing skills. Yes, I knew I was a creative writer. So I started by, you know what, I can write you guys an article about your work. And then I started, Mm -hmm. I can create for you a video. And then I got more confident and I was like, I can create any content for you. You know, I have a team and I'm sure we can put it together. So you just bring it on. And I don't think from that time, once you believe in yourself, even your team starts believing in that bigger goal. They even start believing in themselves. And I think being a leader is about making people believe in themselves and how their skill can contribute towards the dream. And they will always want to be part of that team. So sometimes I know it's it's a little bit hard for my team. Sometimes we have to do the cutoffs. We're like, you know what? This month is a bad one. So we need to figure out how to survive. And this is what is going to happen. We're going to adjust mm-hmm. here and here. And you'll find that people are very comfortable with that kind of open leadership. So mm-hmm. I think it is also something that people need to explore different avenues of leadership apart from the yes. ones that have been defined for us. Thank you. Like the traditional styles. And, you know, that might be the autocratic type of styles or the democratic kind of styles. But what you talk about, there's more the transformational type of leadership style. And that seeks to transform employees by allowing them room to innovate, as you said, or to think outside of the box. Like that doesn't get squashed or quelled. Like, no, you can't do that. We need to stick, you know, stick to to the plan. So wonderful. And and as you talked about, you know, people say you can't do this and it takes money. But the reality is, if you're African or of African descent, we don't have the intergenerational wealth of our white and European counterparts. So whatever we do is that we're likely going to be starting it from nothing or very little. But if we never do it, it, it won't be there. And we do have many people before us that have done it. It's just that we are not 
you know, that's not something again in school or the educational system that, that we are taught, right? So in Africa, you're not necessarily taught about the rich history. In America, we aren't taught sometimes about what's happened in the continent. And then we aren't even taught about what has happened here in America. So like Black Wall Street, you know, people that, you know, that lived during Reformation times, and, you know, um, in terms of building, but again, those areas being attacked because systems and white supremacy and power is not wanting people to continue to grow. Yes, yes, I, I totally agree with that. It's the same thing that has uh, been able to differentiate most of us. You find that you can't compare black founders with white founders and live even alone being black, being black and female. It's oh, even yeah. a white combination. The intersection. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I have to say that, um, you see, some of our ideas are very good. But you find that when we go to pitch and you find that there is a team with white people, you're sure that is the one that is taking the prize even before you go to give your idea, to share your idea. So you think it is also about that system has brought about fear in us yeah. that has led us to even think small about ourselves. Yeah. Some of the times, even when it comes to negotiation about contracts, about partnership, you'll find that we will always take whatever deal we are given, mm -hmm. apart from negotiating to a deal that fits us best. So I think it's also how the system has made us to be. It is because we usually say the colonialists were white. <laughs> so before yeah. we get to understand um, that our systems are as beautiful as theirs, mm -hmm. it takes time for us to even prove because they've already made us believe that they were somehow superior than us. Yes. I think that is also something. And and that's the big part of why I created this podcast is just decreasing the stigma comes from, again, all of the messages that we have been given. So historically, we had to stay to ourselves. You know, we didn't necessarily share our information. So that's cultural of maybe not seeking help because it wasn't safe for us. It wasn't protective. So we just need safe spaces to know that we can validate ourselves. But we have been given messages, right? As you said, of like what white or colonialists believe and that we now having to think in those ways. So we're, we're working like actively day to day to just decolonize our thinking, to like reject that way of thinking and to accept who we are. So that's a big part of this platform and Intentional Talk Radio Network. That's also a big part of that platform and just having a space for Black people to change the narrative. And I think we have to redefine our narrative. You know, some of the stories mm -hmm. that were told about us with people who are not us, that yeah. should change. We need yes. to tell our stories, you know. We need to um, tell more about how beautiful our continent is, how beautiful our cultures are, mm -hmm. how our beliefs led to our growth, you know. They might have been informal, but they were our means of survival. Mm -hmm. And they were such a beautiful way. And that is what they thought of as crude, because it was so beautiful for them to even understand why is it this good. Yes.
And the division still exists. I hear it all the time. You know, some African-Americans or Blacks say, well, Africans don't like um, African-Americans or African-Americans don't like, you know, um, Africans or people from the Caribbean think they're better than people in the U.S. and so much. But we have to realize that truly is that Willie Lynn syndrome, that we have been divided, you know, put the old against the young, the light against the dark, the strong against the weak. And that level of separation still exists and we need to work within ourselves within our communities to heal that because we have been divided and we've been sent to so many other parts of the world that there's this disconnect so thank you for being here today and having that connection saying like yes we are connected we are brothers and sisters and this is the way that we can move forward and work together i have heard so much about whatever you've just said that um, we kind of discriminate against our own who live in the diaspora. And I actually was speaking to Queen Mother Nina Womack the other day, and she told me exactly the same thing. But this is what I told her. It is because um, in most cases, our previous experience on the people who mm -hmm. used to come from that side used to discriminate against our own. Yes. So I don't know why, but I think that is the kind of stigma that led to, you know what, um, people in the diaspora see us as people who are coming from the third world. We are not, we don't fit their structures. They see like our education system is not fit for the one that they've had in the West. Mm -hmm. So I think that is all about, um, about perception. Personally, I think I embrace all people. I embrace all cultures. Mm -hmm. I believe that we are one people. And I've never had an issue with the creatives that we have about people from other continents. As a matter of fact, we are always open to collaborate. Because yeah. we collaborate with all kinds of people. it's We are connected by, we all bleed blood. <laughs> that is one thing I say. Yeah. We all have the same structure. As a matter of fact, someone was saying, um, modern day science is all based on the Black people. Because we are the ones who were used as um, guinea pigs previously yeah. for them to pioneer some of their innovations in medicine. So at the end of the day, if they relied on our structure, that means that we are exactly the same. So that is something that will tell people that we are one people and that should not limit us from collaboration, from mm -hmm. empowering each other and yes. from creating opportunities for each other. Agreed. So it is black people being there for black people. We are black no yes. matter what. At the end of the day, we are one. I agree. I mean, we are all we are all connected and brothers and sisters. And I think the times where there are the challenges are, again, because narratives have been developed for us. And sometimes that internalized oppression, it becomes a part of some of us where we think and feel the same way our oppressor does. So we now have to move outside of like not oppressing ourselves and then projecting those same thoughts and beliefs onto to other people. So this becomes that opportunity for that at transatlantic connection you know the more we can work together the more powerful we become you know it's like the water is one drop it, it's not as as powerful as meaningful but all of the drops together we see what a body of water can do so we have to get to to those points so you're you're a champion for women in the African um, diaspora. Speak to us about some of the unique challenges faced by women in Kenya. Actually, I will I will talk about different divides, not only for, because 
even in Kenya, we have people who are from urban areas and we have people who are from rural areas. And to a point, our challenges differ, but not so far. This is because one, it's a matter of um, women-owned businesses. Uh, there is also a very big stigma around that. I was actually talking to someone from the US and I found that it's actually the same. Uh, women-owned black businesses, they are almost uh, the same as here because we all have limitations when it comes to access to credit, when okay. it comes to opportunities. Yeah. We have that um, compensation and salaries with the men and the whites different, yet it should be the same because we do the same work. Uh-huh. And there is also the issue of um, um, period stigma, period uh, poverty that affect our women okay. who are from the rural areas. And I think maybe you've heard of the stories where women have to have trans- transactional sex for them to get things like um, pads, um, menstrual materials to just go through the month. So there is also this issue of livelihoods mm. and poverty that distinguish us from each other. There is also the issue of early marriages and um, there are still some places that still practice FGM, female genital mutilation. So you see, these are different challenges as some of the ones that people experience in different places of the world. And that's why personally as a champion, I support such initiatives because Mm -hmm. I understand that at the end of the day, we want to bring dignity to women as a whole, regardless of whether you're black or white, regardless of whether you're poor or rich, regardless of whether you can be able to access certain, uh, uh, to be part of certain platforms. It is how we are, we can be able to take advantage of the platforms that we access to amplify their voices as well. So there is also the issue of sexual harassment all Mm -hmm. over, just like any other people. And especially most of us are dependent on public transport, our jobs. So you find that women still have a very big um, gap between being able to achieve their goals because of certain patriarchal structures that remain Mm -hmm. in place. Most organizations, by the way, and companies here do not even have a functional sexual harassment policy. I have resigned from work before because the company did not know how to go about it. So I understand it from from a very personal perspective. Mm -hmm. So there is so many different barriers and opportunities, the way they are structured for us and how we have to fight for them. Because I can't compare even my career with someone who is like a woman in engineering. I know her. Her challenges might be very different from mine because of me personally. I don't have to beat so many patriarchal structures because personally as an advocate, I just advocate for certain aspects of social justice that I feel passionate about. Things that will bring opportunities closer to the people, that will bring a state of normalcy to others and also being able to push the agenda of diversity, equality, and inclusion forward. So I can say that those are some of the challenges that I can be able to list that I feel are very different as compared to what other women experience um, in maybe the global north or in other countries. But in most countries in Africa, of which I really talk to a number of founders in different countries, especially in Africa, I can say that these are some of the things that I can state as some of the challenges that women uh, have to tackle on a day-to-day basis on this continent. 
That That is a lot, as you talked about there, in terms of challenges, just to recap, as you said, in terms of stigma, as you said, from in business, then as you talked about poverty, the transactional sex, that's, I mean, even to get just basic sanit feminine sanitary type of um, items, you know, just thinking about that, that level of limitation, you know, the level of stress the level of emotional and mental distress that that can that can cause in a woman's um life and 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 that's and think about that over a lifetime meaning like the cumulative effect because for women that's until menopause that's something that is going to continue to be a part of um one's life so just thinking of what that means over time so in terms of doing work in terms of policy, that sounds like something that, yes, is, is continued area, as you said, in terms of social justice. So thank you for bringing that uh, to this platform and highlighting it because it may be things that, you know, listeners or those of us here in different diasporas aren't aware of what is, is happening. So here in America, sexual harassment does still happen. Um, it happens in all areas, but there is policy. So it doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but it means that there is at least some type of recourse for it. And that still might be a fight and a struggle, but it along the, it's like, it's a journey, right? Over time. So we are at a step where that is there. So now you're working towards moving it to that step where there would be the policy. And then even those of us who have policy, we're still moving to get it to that next, next phase. So that's a good segue also into you talking about specifically recently you launched a new podcast entitled Lead Like a Feminist. Tell us about your inspiration for that. I'm sure what you started, you began discussing as a part of it, but just tell us a little bit about the process and how you developed that. So I, I can't take all the credits for it because I can say initially it was an idea that was um, founded in the UK with someone who is also very passionate about women's and girls' rights. That is Emily Wilson, the founder of iRise International. And she just told me, you know what? I have this idea of looking into how different people are doing leadership differently. So I can start by saying that leadership in most cases, not that it is bad, but it is it has been defined by our previous patriarchal systems and structures that were forged by men. And that's why most of us think that I should be a manager and act like a man, uh, as most people say it. But you mm. see now, um, the Lead Like a Feminist podcast is out to see how, for example, what Ross does differently, you see? Maybe Dr. Ross does something in her community that is changing even the way people perceive certain things. And mm -hmm. this is because this is a, a time where there are very many different innovators in the social justice space. This is a point where people are trying to tackle things that are affecting their communities. We've had so many people uh, from the African continent come out to challenge climate change because they understand the effect that it has on their communities. We've been having um, a lot of um, natural resources degradation, as well as um, uh, a lot of different perspectives. So it's a matter of looking into what other leaders are doing differently to bring about change in their community. So, and that's why we, we say uh, we are focused on changing the status quo. So it's about me. What are some of the things that I, as Africala and my team, do differently? Okay. 
what are some of the things that me as a leader do differently to ensure that other people have a voice, other people have an opportunity to bring about change, other people have a platform to air or amplify their voices on some of the things that they are passionate about, and also some of the things that I am doing to ensure that there is, um, what can I say, solid change coming about in the communities that I work with. Personally, I work with the creative community, and we have been able to also um, get a number of speakers. And um, even the first season, we were um, we got the privilege of uh, interviewing um, Mungi Ngomani and Naomi Tutu, who are um, oh, who is the daughter and granddaughter yeah. of uh, Desmond Tutu. Tutu. And their story is lovely. I have to say that that is an episode that I would urge even people to just listen yeah. in because they they talk so much about our African system, how our patriarchal systems changed even the way women thought about themselves. Mm-hmm. Women were taught about women by men. So it was yeah. what your father told you. It was what the men in the community thought. They thought that one would be a better husband for you. And this is because oh, we think so. How are men going to tell women how they should be, you know, but this is where we are. And this is why we see the challenge in the structure and the system. So So I can say that it is all about thinking differently, redefining our leadership Mm -hmm. systems. And I think lead like a feminist is more like the way women mostly have motherly instincts when it comes to leadership. You value people's health. You value people's well-being while doing the job. You value their input, you know, as compared to our previous systems. You found this being like this, this is how it is going to go. And this yeah. is the, the road that we are following. So people were not so comfortable with uh, questioning the rules, mm-hmm. questioning the system. People were more into conforming, you know. When I conform, it can be easier for me. I won't have so many people ask me questions. I will have, I won't have, a lot of people look at me from a point where she's going to um, she's going to refuse on this idea. <laughs> but I think when women came to leadership, they gave people the opportunity to disagree as well. You mm-hmm. can disagree with me and I can see how I can incorporate your idea into the solution. So yeah. it's about collective action. It's about bringing people's ideas on board. So I think that is what the Lead Like a Feminist is all about allowing people to contribute to the big dream because these are the kind of people who are going to pick up after you. So what have you taught them different? How will we change these systems to serve our future generations? So it's more about sustainable leadership. Yes. Wonderful. And making those intergenerational um, changes, it sounds like, you know, an awesome, awesome, awesome project. I, I'll look forward to hearing um, that episode that you um, you mentioned there. So just a lot of work to do in terms of champions. So you're very busy, aren't you? <laughs> you're busy, as the I, saying I, goes. You want, done something, you want something done well, give it to, um, you know, a busy person. But at the same time, when you're passionate about something, and that's what I feel, and that's what I sense in your, I can see it in your aura, I can hear it in the way you speak about things, it's on your post, and everything that you send out that you are passionate about that. And that is something that, you know, as a leader too, when you find other people who are passionate, you know, you work to just continue to nurture that. So that it can 
to grow. And it sounds like you're doing that with your team. Very true. Very true. Because actually in my team, I tell everybody they are a leader, you know, um, because I believe that different people are in different um, creative sides. I can't ask the makeup artist to be guided by the director in video. I can't ask the person doing photography to be guided by the makeup artist. I usually say everyone is a leader for their talent, for their skill, for their creativity. It's just about time you own it and be the best at it. So everyone in my team is a leader and everyone has the opportunity to agree to disagree. <laughs> and at the end of the day, we make collective decisions. Yeah. We bring ideas together to form solutions so that everyone can feel included. Yes. And I think some some of what you talked about there in, in as you mentioned the patriarchal structure, like what is the resolution in your in your opinion for some of that? Like how do you overcome centuries of a structure that's moved towards like men thinking for women? What are your thoughts about that? I think I will say something that Naomi Tutu said uh, the other day. She said that it is about acknowledging the power mm. that we have and yes. also understanding that it is also an opportunity for us to acknowledge the frailty of it. So it is as much as mm. it is powerful, it's also, if not done well, can be the end of us all, yes. you know? So at the end of the day, we need to um, have um, like gatekeepers around us, mm -hmm. people who tell you, you know what, Ross, that one, uh, yeah, that one, you, you you kind of went overboard. You know, next time we can try and do this, maybe it can be a little mm -hmm. bit kinder. Maybe it can lead to better solutions. Mm -hmm. So it's also about having the right people who okay. are comfortable to disagree with you, but also show you why they're disagreeing with you. You know, the people who will disagree with you and you'll, you won't understand exactly why they did. They yeah. never give you a reason why. So mm -hmm. it's also about having the right people to also keep you in check. So as a leader, you're not supposed to be the lion in the park. Sometimes Love. you also take a step back and be part of the park to understand the conversations that are going mm -hmm. in there and see where you can adjust accordingly to mm -hmm. make everyone feel included. I love that point. But again, it's what you subscribe to, right? Some people's belief of leadership, it, you know, it may not give room or space for that. So it, as you said, with acknowledgement, it's also acknowledging like, is this leadership style working? How effective is it? And sometimes that it may be effective for some, but like to what degree? If you want to reach a different like audience or do things differently, it may mean a shift. So I, uh, the key, I think a lot of what you said today is acknowledgement, acknowledgement. And, and folks may think, oh, but how is that going to make change? But if we don't raise awareness by through acknowledgement, then we won't make any change at all. And then after we acknowledge, then we start to make like a def like a plan. OK, so what is the blueprint of what we're going to do and how we're, we're going to do it? So all, so much good information today. And I know we're winding down on time. So I want to get a, see if I could get a couple more questions in. So we've talked a lot about stigma in, in general. Can you talk with us about some of the specific barriers related to seeking mental health services in Kenya? So one thing that I usually tell people is that um, mental health 
looks like a very new perspective to Africans. Mm. Okay. It looks like such a white thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let me not be exact. It looks like such a white thing. Um, people have a very different perception to mental health. Yeah. And we forget that even some of our own people have suffered from depression, from mm-hmm. um, death by suicide. Yeah. Daily people are having ulcers and stress and a lot of gender-based violence is being mm-hmm. um, is being traced back to issues of mental health as well. Mm-hmm. So I think one is about perception. Perception is one of the things that people have put in their minds. How will people think about me by admitting mm-hmm. weakness? Mm-hmm. How will people think if I if I say that I have been experiencing mm-hmm. mental health, yeah. yet they think that I I always have things together? So a lot of people suffer in silence, and that mm-hmm. is something that we need to um, stop people from doing, suffering in silence. Because when you suffer in silence, you feel like you're alone. Most even people isolate themselves. So it's also the issue of pricing in our mental health systems. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say that mental health, especially when it comes to like therapy, is one of the yeah. most expensive um, mm-hmm. commodity here. People, right now, I am trying to imagine in this era where there is um, unemployment is on yeah. the rise, and most of the people who are even experiencing mental health challenges are some of these people who are unemployed. So, first of all, will they prioritize food and their basic mm-hmm. needs as compared to seeking mental health services? So, you find that mental health services, the cheapest goes for around $30. And here, $30 can create a lot of change around your life. Oh, yeah. You can be able to, uh, that is food for a week mm-hmm. and transport and a number of things in there. So you see, by the time you think of prioritizing um, mental health therapy, mm-hmm. and there is also very few people who offer that service. So you also have to book in yourself a session. It is just, there is just a lot. That's... It is not accessible. Okay. And well, I understand that. That's to work also, on. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is also the issue of accessibility in very many different places in the world. I also have a a friend of mine who is also a client of mine when it comes to therapy, talk therapy especially, who lives in Germany. So if she would prefer to um, to have counseling from this side, that means that it is a little bit hard for them to access it. And she also cites that it is extremely expensive there. So she prefers also if she can talk to someone who is younger as compared to the kind mm-hmm. of people who are there, who are way older, who have a very different notation of what life yeah. is. And some of their solutions do not really apply to this age. So yeah, there is also that gap of um, professionals uh, who offer these therapies. Uh, some of them are older and they yeah. think that you're supposed to be subscribed to some certain form of living and um, mm-hmm. ideologies and so much. So you find that there is also that. And another thing is stigma. From the perception of how people perceive mental health, there is also stigma. How people um, perceive, you know, you're a man. Uh, men don't cry, you know. Yeah. You're We've not, got that over here. <laughs> you're not, you're cannot... not alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there is also that toxic masculinity of sorts that yeah. limits people from yeah. going to seek mental health services as well so those are just some of the barriers that i can cite when it comes to accessing mental health services Mm -hmm. here in kenya 
So, and so again, this is where it's important to, you know, we love having guests from other places because some of that happens here. Now, the degree and intensity of it may vary, but we still have that here, that therapy is a white thing. But I think in the U.S., there's been so much messaging now that it's decreasing and you have more people that are using platforms that are African-American speaking out about therapy, that it's, it's decreasing the stigma. But this is where we have a lot of African centered psychology, SACU, which is like, you know, foundational African psychology. We have a lot of African centered psychology. We also have, you know, traditional mixed with, you know, not conventional or more holistic, you know, Yoruba, different um, areas as well of healing. So I'd love for you to come back at another time and we talk about this. And now I'm getting inspired too. It's like, we need to work on like global healing. Some of the challenges with access to therapy is that licensing. Like we need licensing so that we have accountability, right? We don't want people just practicing. And if something happens, there's no recourse, but then there's limitations with that. Now in the US, we have what's called like side packs where you can work to have to be licensed and have reciprocity in different states. So now like I'm in Missouri, but if I want to practice in like neighboring states, I could do that. So, but we need that globally as well. So what can we do that now? Cause we have likely more psychologists and therapists here in the States. Like what can we do that we can also provide services to other places? So as always, I'm getting inspired. So you inspired me there too, to think about what we can um, build in, build in, in that way. So we, we are winding down towards the end of our time, we've had a uh, remarkably, you know, enlightening dialogue. I love all that we were able to hear and learn about your, where you are in your part of the world. So thank you so much for being here today on New Horizon, the Mind, Body and Connection. If anyone wants to be in contact with you, what are the best ways for um, folks to contact you? Actually, we are on, I think, all social media platforms. Wonderful. So, um, personally, mine, you can get me on Kawira Malin Kenya or Malin Kenya. And um, we have the Africala Arts um, platform on Instagram, on LinkedIn. We also okay. have the Mental Talk 254 on Instagram, on LinkedIn as well, on Facebook. So we have all our social media pages up and running and we even post some of the activities that we do on a day-to-day -day basis. So anyone can reach out to us at Africala Art. Actually, Africala Art has a K. <laughs> Most people put the C, so it, it is a K. It is more African yeah. because the C is more English as, as yeah. we put it. So most of African content, we are more about the K. So it's Africa La Art and uh, Mental Talk. So Mental Talk, we have uh, different pages and we have a very good uh, platform on, on Instagram, especially Instagram. Uh, we do a lot on Instagram, like Instagram Live. Sometimes we even have sessions on Twitter. So we also have all our accounts on Twitter, including mine, which is M-A-R-L. 254 that is mal 254 so yeah uh, you, you can always definitely, get yeah. folks can find you so again we um our guest miss marlene kawara kenua we have learned so much today before we wrap up anything that you know you would like to share before we wrap up today i know we've discussed so much but anything that you'd like to share with our listeners before we before we wrap up 
so i can say that in um this is an advice for people who want to do things that they have always been thinking in their minds so most of the time you can question your character your ability you can question your trait and your influence will i be able to really reach out to those kind of people sometimes it's even about questioning yourself perception how you perceive things how you identify to some of the systems as well how you even question your purpose and passion you know sometimes you sit down and am i really doing the right thing or should i do something different sometimes it's also a matter of inclination to some of the alterations that we've had in terms of beliefs in terms of um experiencing sometimes it's anxiety and unrest you're like no this will make me a little bit comfortable i will meet so many people but one thing i want to tell people is that do not really seek the approval of others it will yeah. never come mm. always seek your own approval yeah. to your dreams believe in your dreams as much as other people have believed in theirs before you so let that creativity in you be the fire within you so you can only be as beautiful and as good as you believe you are so that is something that i will tell anyone who is willing yeah. to follow their dream it is what following so do it wonderful words words of wisdom you heard it here from miss marlene kawera kinwa thank you so much not seeking validations from others validating yourself and believing in yourself and i hope that everyone is inspired by uh this interview today thank you so much again miss kinwa for being here and for sharing your um experiences we'd love to have you back again on new horizon the mind and body connection our next show will be december 11th thanks to friends family those listening those who couldn't um listen you know you can find it on itrnradio.com and all of our uh platform um areas and remember healthy mind and healthy body is key to longevity thank you everyone and thank you miss kinwa thank you very much for having me dr ross